Hey there, listeners. Before we get started, we want to talk to you about Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a really cool subscription service where every month they send you a box centered around a cocktail theme that they've carefully curated. Inside the box, you'll find all of your ingredients, instructions, and even mixology definitions to help you craft your very own fancy cocktails. Whether you're looking to impress friends at a gathering or you want something new to enjoy as you watch a movie, the only thing you need to provide yourself is the alcohol. You can get $20 off your first box by going to shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod. Some of the past boxes have included the putting on the spritz box, girls just want to have bourbon box, the steeped in vodka box. Honestly, that sounds like an eternal 2020 mood. Uh, all of the the these carefully curated boxes, as we keep saying, are really good, have great flavors, natural ingredients, stuff that you don't really find or would think to put together uh, very often by yourself. So like, trust us, you're going to want to do this. So again, if you want to try out Shaker and Spoon and get $20 off of your first box, just go to Shaker and Spoon. That's Shaker A N D Spoon dot com slash extraneous pod. Hello and welcome to another episode of Extraneous Steven Universe Edition. Hey all, I'm Leah. And I'm Takia. And we're here to talk to you about our favorite cartoon boy. His name is Steven. Yes. Before we start talking about Steven Universe, we wanted to remind you guys that we have a lot of really cool items at Mischief Merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much cool stuff. Like, we talked to you already about the Pride Merch and yeah. about the Podcast Merch, like our really dope Stay Extra t-shirt. And actually, I really love the Stay Extra logo on a mug because it pops yeah. the, the the yellow and the reds really good because it's on that white background. It's so pretty. Um, but like, we have other fandom stuff. Tia, what's something you're really digging right now? I'm really excited about the Hamilton stuff that we just put out because, of course, yes. uh, Hamilton is on Disney Plus now. And so we put out this really funny Hamilton. I think it's on a T-shirt and a mug. I'm also literally wearing a 100% That Witch shirt right now. Nice. Um, so there's there's just like a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah, if I had to pick one right now, it's there's a I I might have mentioned it before on this one, but uh, the cozy mystery logo, which looks it, I mean, spoiler alert, it looks like unsolved mysteries, um, but it says the cozy mystery files, and they I have it on a tank top, and I love it. It's so comfy, um, but it's on a mug and stuff too. And now that unsolved mysteries is back and new on Netflix to terrify all of us, like <laughs> I'm so hyped to like watch it with my cool new T-shirt uh, tank top, but. But yeah, no, head to uh, mischiefmerch.com. You can look at everything by collection or by product or like, I don't know, you can see what's on sale. There's always clearances running. You never know. Check that out. Again, that's mischiefmerch.com. All right. We're done. We're done selling you stuff as long as you buy it. If you don't buy it, we're not done selling you stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But now we can talk about Steven Universe instead of merch. We can, we can, we can. So this, right, what we're talking about here is the, like, second to last. Like, this is the penultimate chunk of Steven Universe, technically. Sort of. Yes. Proper, I guess. This is the, if you consider future, the if the, the movie and future are, like, an epilogue and a sequel. Yes. Like, in terms of Steven Universe, like, this, this is second to last. So, like, it makes sense that this is Fallout and Setup. Yeah. This, honestly, we talked about four episodes of season five in the last chunk of episodes that we did. But to me, this chunk does feel like the top of season five. It is all of the fallout that we're getting from uh, Lars's head and like being in space and seeing the diamonds. 
And it's like reestablishing Beach City in a lot of ways. We are seeing our characters kind of grow and develop and change. And it's really setting us up for what will happen going forward. Yep. It's almost like um, not running down a checklist because Steven Universe is too good to just be that. <laughs> but like it, it very much is taking care of the things that need to be taken care of before we hit sort of the last of the big, re- like the final big revelations and the final sort of push towards the end game essentially which would which would again be like dealing with the diamonds and dealing with with rose quartz and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. um so like getting time with so many beach city residents is sort this is like the last opportunity to do it basically we're not going to be able to spend time with them later yeah absolutely and i think even for people who are watching steven universe for the first time you get this like foreboding sense of there is Mm -hmm. something big about to happen Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that. I love all of the breadcrumbs that we've been talking about so far that like get even more explicit, I think, in this section of episodes because it's all about to come to a head. Oh, talk about more explicit. Well, I mean, we'll mention it later, but like somebody literally smacks themselves in the face <laughs> <laughs> Try, trying to alert Stephen and the audience that something is wrong. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> are, were there any big themes that you saw in these episodes? I think there's a few, right? One interesting thing uh, I think that comes up a bit is is the idea of taking folks for granted. Mm, the mm-hmm. like the expectation that people will always be the same. The things that you are accustomed to aren't going to change. That there's no consequences for your actions. Um, that that comes up kind of broadly a bit. I think specifically of Mayor Dewey. Oh God! Like yes. I mean, is is the bumbling political figurehead, but also like. I think it's interesting that we spent an entire episode on maybe why he has to deal with or why he has to deal with the consequences of his of his inaction. And simultaneously, this is going on with Stephen and Connie because Stephen hurt Connie. He hurt his whole family and all of his friends, but he specifically hurt Connie and he has to deal with that. And he's able to recognize what he did by watching Mayor Dewey go through it, right? So like, even if you think what you're doing is for the best of the people, whether it's you don't want to hurt your friend or you don't want to scare your constituents... You're going to have to deal with the fact that they're not going to necessarily be okay with that. Absolutely. I like that Stephen and Connie's sort of breakup, I guess, lasts for more than just that episode. So you're able to kind of see the weight of the uh-huh. the shifting of this relationship, um, which is something that I think we all go through at some point or another. The like the way that you see someone has to change a little bit. And I think that that happens over and over in this bunch of episodes, there's something about redefining yourself and yeah. and additionally folks from the outside seeing that. Um, so like we see Sadie really come into herself and she's a rock star and like Dewey isn't mayor and there are a couple of moments where he's in the background trying to figure out yep. what to do next. Um, and Lars is, you know, in space as a captain of a spaceship um and connie gets a really cute haircut which is like the breakup haircut i love it i mean um, like that's actually a big deal it is it i i feel like when we see connie again in and we'll talk about this some more it, it, she is more like embodied and like sure sure of herself in a way and then we also get to see from the outside like garnet noticing that steven's grown up um, yeah. and how her expectations of him have to change 
Yeah, I really do love that, right? Like it, it's 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 internal in redefining yourself and it's also external in that others need to understand that potentially you are doing that or they need to notice that. Yeah, no, I really quite like that. That's a really good point. I think there's also a bit too, and maybe it's a bit of a motif instead of a theme. I'm not mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I can't often tell the difference between <laughs> those things. Um but it's keeping secrets, which is something that we've dealt with through the entirety of Steven Universe, whether we're talking about Rose or or whatever, and and keeping your feelings mm-hmm. bottled up, like full disclosure style. Steven doesn't want to talk to his family about what happened with Connie because he's embarrassed. Yep. But like it it kind of is doing a number on him. Pearl slapped herself in the face because she's keeping <laughs> some sort of secret. Uh, like, um, I, I mean, even even Sadie, right? Like, she has a whole arc and, and gets all this big, great change. But, like, right before she gets to the point where she quits and whatever, she has the whole discussion about how, like, you ever feel so bad it feels good. And, like, <laughs> d- like I feel like I want to scream my guts out or not my guts, but the thing inside. Like, yeah. that's... It's that that thing about if you if everything stays inside it can it can fester and it can worsen and it can and it can just get too big so it's you know what happens when those feelings and those secrets overwhelm on the inside Yeah absolutely and I mean even like Paradox in raising the barn spends the yeah. entire episode trying not to say the thing that she wants because she doesn't want to like upset or rock the boat with Lapis. And I love at the end of that episode when she's like, uh, "You're supposed to reward me for my emotional honesty." She pulls uh, a whole Steven. <laughs> I, I I absolutely loved it, but I think that there's some truth in that that we're like seeing a lot of these characters battle with whether or not it's better to keep the secret for the people around them or to share it and seeing what's happening to them because of all of these hidden feelings that they're keeping yeah. bottled up. I mean, I mean, yeah, like that's that's that. <laughs> yeah, that. Also, additionally, Lapis needs therapy, and we won't talk about this, but I just want to point out that Lapis oh. needs a whole lot of therapy. <laughs> Truly. I, I mean, like, we're, we're not going to go too deep into that, but, like, there's a lot of stuff in Raising the Bar that's intense. I really appreciate the moment where Peridot literally bends over backwards to make Lapis feel better. Yeah. Not just emotionally. She does a, she does a, a bridge. She's like, look, I'm doing this to make her feel better. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's something else right there. Yeah. I mean, come on. Lapis literally picks up the entire barn and is like, peace. That is a trauma response. Like, oh, she needs time. to be talking to someone. <laughs> and not alone on the moon? Probably. Yeah. Tell me about the anime references. Uh, let's see. There's, there's not a ton of them. This one, um, uh, the majority of them come from one episode. So instead I'm going to mention very quickly in pool hopping when they follow, uh, cat Steven, uh, through the bushes to find the other little kitties. Yes. Um, it is a homage to, uh, the studio Ghibli film, my neighbor Totoro, one of the earliest of the Ghibli movies. I believe this is the first time I've mentioned my neighbor Totoro, but maybe the sixth studio Ghibli movie that I've mentioned on this podcast, uh, (laughs) now on HBO max, please go watch it. But anyways, in that movie, there's a sequence in which little may follows, uh, the small Totoro's through a bush tunnel into like a glen where she meets the big Totoro. And instead here, they follow the little kitty cat to find the other kitties. 
the rest of the references were in Lars of the Stars. Um, specifically, Lars's look. Lars is a cool space captain on the run with his little renegade crew, and his outfit is is not just a call-out to. It is like an exact replica of uh, Captain Harlock. Ha- captain Harlock was the uh, protagonist of Space Pirate Captain Harlock, which was a 70s anime and manga series, and he's got that cool black and red with the cape and his hair. Uh, Harlock's hair kind of swoops in front of one of his eyes the way that Lars's mohawk kind of floops down. Uh, and he was like very kind of cool and dandyish and all that other stuff. Space Pirate Captain Harlock was from the 70s, and I feel like Rebecca and her writers do a lot of pulls from 70s uh, anime and manga series. Um, but I remember being younger, I do remember knowing about Harlock's Saga, which was a an addendum anime that was from the 90s. So you might have heard of that one. Um, the other nod to Captain Harlock itself is that uh, they picked Emerald to be uh, Captain Lars's sort of antagonist. And in the Captain Harlock stories, one of his biggest antagonists is Queen Emeraldas, literally somebody who has the name <laughs> Emerald. It just worked far too good. And then it is either in Lars of the Stars or in Letters to Lars. I, I can't remember which one, but it was on the spaceship. Uh, there is a big old like red alert thing that comes across the screens of the spaceship. Um, and while that in itself is probably a nod to like Star Trek and other things like that, um, the way that the warning signs come across and like kind of litter all over the the front of the ship and not just on the main view screen uh, is a nod to Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is an anime that I've mentioned at least eight times on this podcast. In that a lot of times when either there's an angel attack or if something goes wrong with an AVA unit, uh, alerts will pop up in front of the sort of command center and nerve. And it will do that thing where it like is like a tiled background on a desktop computer where it's just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so aesthetically, that's what that looks like. And that's it. That was there's really not much left. We are we are pure Steven Universe at this point. We are. And we're just like barreling towards the end which is really exciting but i think that that shows up later when we talk about the like lore there's not a ton left we're just kind of like heading to the end of steven universe yeah Uh, crew universe said you know everything now here are all the puzzle pieces all right we're going into our top five this was hard top five this was hard we were pretty much set on the episodes but the order of which there was a bit of back and forth yeah we were talking about this earlier, but like next episode, it's going to be impossible. We're just getting to the point where so many of them are important and they are all kind of equally good. And I don't know mm-hmm. how you discern like putting one above the other. And we did that very difficult work here. <laughs> um, but I just think that it's worth noting that it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, it's so hard. You should feel bad for us. <laughs> Send us yeah. adorable gifts on the internet. <laughs> Thank you. Please reward me for this. Um, (laughs) But starting at five, we have The Big Show. At number four, Pool Hopping. Number three, Your Mother and Mine. Number two, Gemcation. And number one, the duology of Lars of the Stars and Jungle Moon. Okay, before we get into those, what was your bonus episode, Leah? My bonus episode, I'm going to have to go with Letters to Lars. Uh, I love a I love a framing device, and it is delightful that it is in this little letter that Stephen just like, I can, in my head, Stephen like was in the pink space and just like made a paper airplane out of the envelope, but like then it unraveled. I don't, 
How do you throw an envelope through a dimensional? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> Letters to Lars is a delightful little episode. Um, I, I like the space episodes in general because there's a lot of like Trekno babble and I'm a Trekkie. So like getting to hear that in Steven Universe is really fun. The random things going on in town is so funny. Just like the meeting of the adults just to talk about like safety plans and stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. That improv troupe. I'm so. <laughs> I'm so. <laughs> It was, it's so awful. Like, ugh. like my, my notes from Letters to Lars are just quotes. Like I, I wrote down in quotes, no, do Steven. I wrote down, <laughs> LOL, no prop work. I wrote down, I thought you were holding a long skinny submarine sandwich. I wrote down the phrase, Pearl, be nice. Like it was just, that whole improv scene was so funny. Greg and Garnet playing tennis and her being like, being rich has made you weak. Oh, wait, here's the last thing I wrote down. And I, it's basically a question for all of us, including you, Takia. Hey, is PD old enough to own a business? <laughs> Why is this kid allowed to have a truck with, like, hot oil inside of it? Jesus. I mean, he's usually running stuff at the fry shop. Like, PD owns a business, and he's, like, 12, so everybody else apparently used to get on his level. And then, of course, it's adorable because it ends with the fact that Steven didn't want to just write a letter. He pops out of Lars's head and, and reads it and it's a really weird but adorable little image of of Steven just on top of Lars as if he just kind of like booped his chin there anyways I love letters <laughs> to Lars oh wait I have one last quote and that is who the heck is Peridot <laughs> someone who misses you very much no that that one that one is great so uh, after all that, what was your bonus episode? <laughs> My bonus episode was Kevin Party. I don't have a list of quotes from it, but I just love, honestly, I love all the Kevin episodes because he's a douche and there's just something fun <laughs> about watching him flail around. I love every time that there's a confusion or like misunderstanding between the relationship that Connie and Steven have when they when like people think it's romantic and it's just about being friends. Like there's something really wholesome in that push and pull. And obviously Connie and Steven grow up to be in love, but like they're kids, so they're just best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I love that moment. I also like the resolution of the disagreement that they've been having for like the last couple of episodes. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like really sweet and funny moments and also steven in that like button up with the cravat like (laughs) what an awful outfit (laughs) uh it's just it's good it's good stuff did you see the message i sent you the other day probably but i'm telling the podcast so i'm gonna pretend like it didn't happen but i sent you the message that said kevin has a blackberry pearl (laughs) in my notes i wrote what a shithead (laughs) but like isn't that kevin that's kevin he brought a BlackBerry Pearl to a smartphone game. Like, ugh, ugh. As a 16-year-old or 17-year-old or whatever, come on. Kevin Kevin is the worst. God, I hate that kid. I love it. But yes, on to our actual top five, starting with The Big Show. This one is so interesting. Uh, I love, I'm so glad it's on the list because when we were going through, I was like, I really feel like we should have one of the Sadie Killer episodes here and The Big Show, I think, is the best of them. Yes. Like... Even though, like, in terms of, like, plot, story, whatever, like, it's not it's not a big episode. It's kind of a little bottle episode. But, like, man, it's so good. I love the spinal tap of it all with Steven on the camcorder the whole time. So it's yeah. got that. The, like, gritty, like, I don't know, VHS vibe. Yeah. Like, he says, these are your early days. The footage has to look old. <laughs> I... It's it's just it's really great. I love seeing the teens getting to do cool teen stuff and Greg being their fun manager the performance their performance is so 
good. Where'd they get the money for that rigging? Probably Greg, but still. No, it's incredible. I I also, I love the songs. They're very catchy and we'll talk about that when we get to the music. But there's something about Sadie's realization that she wanted her mom there that's also mm-hmm. really sweet um, and interesting. I think that in contrast to Sadie's song, um, it, it's, it shows a lot of growth, right? Like it's, it's clear that Sadie is now able to like stand up for herself and like set those mm-hmm. boundaries that she didn't feel like she could, but also recognize and acknowledge that like it's nice to have that kind of support. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. There's something in that realization that Sadie has uh, about wanting her mom in the audience. I feel like it shows a little bit of that everything that Sadie did in the past, like she did because like it was like the the passing interest, like in ballet or swim or karate or baseball or whatever it, whatever it was that Sadie was doing uh, that her mom stepped in with like again was just a a, a vague passing interest but like you're right as Sadie has gotten more sure of herself this is not a vague passing interest this is something she actually cares about is actually good at and actually wants to do and it is those things that you want to share with the people you love like Sadie tried swimming didn't really like it so maybe that's why she didn't want her mom all up in it because like she didn't want to eventually disappoint her mom or get her mom too excited but like this is the thing so this is the thing that you want your family supporting you on uh and it's a god it's just so great I love that quite a bit yeah it's just a nice little episode one last button on that the the like producer or or music venue owner that Greg knows sunshine whatever her name is the one that looks like Sadie's mom yeah uh, did you I didn't know this until I was checking out the wiki uh, that she's voiced by Joan Jett. What? Yeah, Steven Universe one. Let's get Joan Jett to say three sentences on this episode <laughs> because that's how hardcore we are. But like, that is that's how hardcore they are. Like that's Steven Universe. God, Steven Universe cannot do small. They only do big. I did not realize that. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, at number four, we have pool hopping. You love this episode. I do. I love this episode. I enjoy all of the episodes that kind of play with the gem's powers and especially future vision. Um, so like the not the episode, but like specifically Garnet's future vision. Um, yeah. And so there's something really fun about her trying to do like unexpected things like looking for the chaos that is humanity um it feels Mm -hmm. very philosophical and also just kind of fun and so i like i love it start to finish like garnet in the uh outfit at the big donut like hilarious um and steven like working with her to come up with all of these like crazy things to do I know, it's just really fun trying to figure out how to deliver pizza in the most unexpected way. Let's let's deliver it <laughs> to the pizza shop. Uh, it's great. I really do love this episode in the in the parallel it does to to Future Vision, the episode Future Vision, not just the the ability. Um, yeah. cuz like in Future Vision, right? It is Steven going like, "Do you see us? Do you see Lars saying hi back to me? Do you see this? Do you see that? And it's them. Do you see yourself coming with me to the big donut? Like, it's a lot of that. And in this one instead, like, I love that Stephen Stephen leads in this episode, right? Because Garnet doesn't know how to be random. And Garnet doesn't know how to do these things. So, like, having Stephen play leader in this and be like, 
and, and figure out all the other things while while still maintaining sort of their playful back and forth relationship that they come to so naturally. Like that just is Steven and Garnet. They they love each other and they play and they are coy with each other and it's just delightful. Um, I really quote, I, I love the the little adventure that they go on in this episode. And I think it's a, a wonderful sort of um, button button on sort of what began with future vision. Yeah. And then we end with this like kind of devastating conversation about how Garnet doesn't trust her own future vision because she wasn't able to anticipate all the things that Steven did. Um, and it's it like to me is another conversation about like parenthood right it's about like watching your kid grow up and not being able to uh stop them from doing things or protect them or right like it like she is no longer able to predict what steven will do because she needs to realize that steven has grown up and the like the algorithm that i guess her future vision pivots on needs to change because he's becoming an adult there's something really sweet about that that projects to the audience that we should also start to understand Stephen as, you know, a 14, almost 15 year old kid who's coming into his own and can do all of these big things and, you know, that anything could happen. Yeah, I love the line that she says, the I keep expecting you to run from responsibility and to turn to me for help, but you don't do that anymore. Those futures aren't probable at all. And then the like you said, I just need to factor in that you've grown up. Because I think we talk, you and I talk a lot about how, like, in every chunk of episodes, we see Stephen, Stephen's growth as a as a leader, as a problem solver, as as a as a big damn hero, you know, like, and even like his <laughs> emotional maturity sometimes, like, yeah. And it's it's great to have such a sort of literal interpretation of what parents or guardians or even like general friends and family have to do with folks as they get older like you it's adjusting your expectations um and this is just a very literal interpretation of that idea like the the way she says that the way she says like i just need to factor in that you've grown up is uh and then of course because steven can't can't let a moment go by he replies with i'm trying to be like you and you're like god damn it steven <laughs> it's so beautiful uh and also it coming on the heels of garnet feeling so unsteady and unsure right like this Mm -hmm. episode is about garnet not trusting herself because she can't protect steven and she can't be the leader that she thought that she was and then you realize that like it's because maybe it doesn't need to all be on garnet's shoulders like steven steven is also growing up and steven is able to do things and so like it's just i don't know it's beautiful it's very beautiful Oh God, that 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 like that reminds me, right? Like I don't want to harp on it, but what you just said makes so much sense, right? Because again, going back to future vision, remember that her whole thing was just telling him don't go up on the roof, mm-hmm. and it's because she foresaw what could happen if he went up there. Like she took, she took the initiative in that way. But like again, she couldn't do that here, and instead was just trying to be random, and it like it didn't mess everything up, but like it didn't help. It really is the sequel too. Like it is a full circle moment. Yeah. Everything that happens is like kind of full circle here. Yeah. There's a, she has a line when she's talking about uh, not being able to predict things where that's like, I can't stand it. It's so hard for me to just exist in this, in the first place, Stephen. I want to love being alive. I want to love that there are so many possibilities, but I'm the one with this ability. 
so I've got to be our guide. I thought if I could use my future vision to jump into improbable futures, I could get ahead of the next big thing, unexpected change. But I don't know what I'm doing here. I can't tell what's probable anymore. Anything could happen. Uh, I don't know. There's something that like I really identified with in that sense of uncertainty and that I think is very human in that like I'm just trying to hold on to the things, right? Like I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. Um yeah that like is so contrary and yet similar to future vision right it's like Mm -hmm. both the opposite and the exact same yeah which is i don't know it's a really interesting storytelling oh man i'm so glad you you brought all of that up the that line it's so hard for me to exist at all and i just want to love being alive yeah like like this is five thousand years of responsibility yes and of being the only one that you know like this. Like, uh, 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 such good Garnet stuff in this episode. Um, but yeah, so that's pool hopping. <laughs> that's pool hopping, which means that number three is Your Mother and Mine, another solid Garnet episode. Yes, there's a lot of like good Garnet, but also like not in the forefront, if that makes sense. Like, uh-huh. like she's leading in a lot of these episodes, but it doesn't feel like it's all about her or there's anything like there, there isn't anything that like changes in a revolutionary way about her character. It's more just like her helping to frame some stories. Mm-hmm. I love your mother and mine just because we get to establish like so many random understandings of Rose like there's just this big myth of who Rose Quartz was Um, and I think that we first of all we who have watched this whole show before know what's coming down the line but also there's a sense building that Rose Quartz isn't maybe as good as she is made out to be or like as powerful or as something right like we can tell from the way Steven has been grappling with like who Rose was and her bubbling all sorts of like all of these gems and and things that she did that weren't great and the mess that Steven feels like he's been left to clean up like that throws into question who Rose is but we also have like the stories that the crystal gems tell and especially this one that Garnet tells through this episode that kind of like complicate contradict that and so the audience is left in a very similar place as Stephen is trying to figure out like what we believe and who Rose Quartz is through all of these different competing ideas yeah I think that's all really interesting I all this story is about to get like turned over in literally two episodes (laughs) so like frustrating but I do think it's interesting the like you said like all these the mythology of of Rose Quartz right like and I I think it's that idea of your environment shaping your understanding of the world and the two ways we see that is one with the story of Rose Quartz like how the homeworld gems like Presumably through like, you know, general propaganda and nonsense coming from the diamonds mm-hmm. about how, you know, oh, Rose Rose Quartz popped out of the ground and just murdered gems or, or whatever they say. Like all those like like the boogeyman stories kind of of Rose Quartz versus the story that Garnet tells that like she was she she rebelled because she wanted to she loved Earth and she wanted to save life. And I think I think you can see the parallel or the the corollary to that is how Garnet shows up and from her worldview and from what Rose ostensibly taught her was like loving these off colors and how cool they are yeah. and how amazing they are and like calling them beautiful. And then simultaneously, because they grew up, grew up, because they've only existed on Homeworld, those off colors being like, 
not knowing what a compliment is, assuming that Garnet is teasing them, uh, not believing Garnet when she says these good things about them. Like it's that it's that same kind of thing. Their viewpoint has been warped by the authority that has always ruled over them. Mm-hmm. And I like that through Garnet, we get the two those two different things. Rose was not just this, well, <laughs> Rose was not just this megalomaniacal villain. <laughs> chew on that. Chew on those words some more, will you? I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm not even sure if I said that word correctly, but also it like hurts to say. Uh, Christ, that Rose wasn't just this monster that popped out of the ground and simultaneously that they're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely a morsel of truth in what everyone believes about Rose Quartz. And I think that Mm -hmm. like we can unravel that once we get the whole story down the line. But there is a bit of truth in the way everyone sees Rose Quartz. Um, And I think that that's what makes complicated compelling character um but also i i love the way you mentioned when uh garnet sees the off colors and is complimenting them i love the moment where she's like um a ruby and a pearl that must be a story (laughs) (laughs) i love it because like honestly it must like i'm fascinated like like wipe your brain of the ruby and the pearl that we know best right and just pick Pick out one of the random ruby soldiers and pick out, like, I don't know, yellow pearl. And you're like, what? How? (laughs) Precisely. And honestly, like, the the big meaning and, like, big stories aside, I think that the art in the flashback is really beautiful. Yeah. I always love seeing that, like, the, I don't know, just, like, there's something about the, the, like, black and color thing that happens when she's telling about, like, the rose and... Uh, as one of the uh, court soldiers and like yeah, Rose yeah. is the only one in pink and I don't know it's really pretty yeah no no uh, hilariously uh, that's also actually potentially an anime reference but I didn't call it out because I think it could just be an art style thing but uh, revolutionary girl Utena does flashbacks that look like that with that stark color with like black faces and black mm. limbs and stuff like that very very cool um, yeah no I love that the it is Steven Universe is perpetually gorgeous to look at in entirely new ways. Like, they just decide to do something different. You're like, God, this looks good, too, guys. Can you make a bad choice? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think that that's, that's it for me. Like, it's it's just, like, a nice episode. I love learning more and seeing different perspectives on Rose. And also, there's beautiful animation. What more do you want? I'm, I also want to give a quick shout out to Lars in this episode because he says so little and there is something I quite enjoy about Lars. I, I mean, again, space pirate Captain Lars recently res- like resurrected from the dead, hanging out with all these gems. But I, I quite enjoy the fact that he spends most of the episode sitting and listening and like they purposefully draw him as like invested in this story mm-hmm. like this this world his world and, and the, the lives of these gems have collided in a big bad way or in a big good way and so i i really appreciate that they they allow lars to just listen which is like something that teenage boys don't do very well um, <laughs> so i don't know i just i was really enjoying his i'm obsessed with this story phase and then like at the very end he has his like cool dude pose where he like sticks out his hip and he like flips his cape and i was like space captain lars is the best <laughs> yes uh at number two we have gemcation i love small 
stake big emotional payoff episodes. Mm. I love character I love character work. And this is nothing but character work. And it does it in the two ways that are my favorite. And one is through hilarious bits. This whole episode is like multi is just bit on bit on bit from the from Greg giving the gems like a script to follow to make sure that Steven wants to go on vacation. And Garnet's like Agree with Pearl. Turn to Steven. Steven, we should go on vacation with more enthusiasm. <laughs> Steven! <laughs> like that that bit, the bit when they the whack Airbnb rules when they get to the the little farmhouse there, like uh, Steven, join me in the hot tub, become a raisin. Like this this episode is nothing but cool one liners, but it I really enjoy the emotional work that has to be done because this thing that Steven is dealing with is very human. It's yeah. so human to get into a fight with your best friend, to accidentally hurt somebody, even though you think you were doing the right thing, to be nervous about not hearing from them and, oh, God, what did I do wrong this time? Like, I love the the small, important things, and I feel like this whole episode is just small, important things. Yeah, I think that you're pointing out all of the best moments in this episode. I also love seeing how each of the gem tries to get Steven to open up um, in like a bunch of different ways, especially like Garnet, because again, we just talked about like her future vision and all of that. Um, And so the, the scene in the hot tub for me is like Garnet trying to like just guess, which is such a very like Garnet thing is like, I know what's going on here with full certainty. And then she starts talking and Steven's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. There's actually something in that. And I've, we've never mentioned it before, but I've, I've, caught it a couple times when like doing research for episodes is that very specifically Garnet does not ask questions. She never does because if Garnet asks a question that probably triggers a future vision thing, right? Uh. So, or, or even if not, she just simply does not ask questions. So like Garnet just guesses because she has future vision. There is no world in which in a hot tub, she would ask Steven what's wrong. And there's no world where Pearl does it because Pearl assumes she knows what's wrong. And there's no world where Amethyst does it because I think Amethyst assumes, uh, I don't know, maybe Amethyst doesn't feel comfortable asking what's wrong or something like that. She doesn't want to broach that, right? So nobody bothers to ask Stephen what's wrong. I think that that makes a lot of sense for this character and for this family, honestly, that like so many people walk around kind of thinking they know what's going on. Um, is really interesting and familiar, right? Like, I think that a lot of us have experiences and relationships like that. Yeah, it's it's cool to watch how each of them interacts with Steven. And I think it's really interesting that Pearl, because she's kind of in a similar place of, mm-hmm. like, holding back, um, is the one that gets Steven to explode. And it's not from anything that she particularly says, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm like, Steven, shut up. Pearl is about, <laughs> it's like, Pearl is about to tell <gasps> you stuff. <laughs> oh, God, Steven, if you would just stop looking at your phone and look at Pearl for three seconds, you would see that she, it looks like she's being attacked <laughs> by the idle hands monster. Like, <laughs> come on, Steven, what are you doing? Oh, oh, my God, Steven, turn around. Steven, turn around. Steven, turn around. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. This episode's about you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh my god. Screaming at my TV, screaming. And they, these episodes, these were not these were like a year ago. These episodes, they these are very clear memories of me actually screaming at my television. Stupid turn around. <laughs> Come on. I need to know. <laughs> just like yelling, 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 yelling. Yeah, and then honestly, the realization that like Stephen doesn't have any cell service is so freaking human and familiar. <laughs> 
Um, just that he's been like fretting over getting a text message or a voicemail or anything, and actually they're in the middle of nowhere and he has no cell service. It's just like woof. Yeah, seriously. Also, what is so human and familiar is the fact that when he gets it back, he did not get the text he wanted. It was like nonsense in the group chat, like oh, I've been waiting for this text all day. I really hope it comes through. And then you get the text and it's somebody being like, I ate tacos today. And you're like, oh my God, please shut up. (laughs) I've never been angrier at a text in my life. Because Ronaldo's just like, also, mm, I did a screenshot of Ronaldo's because Ronaldo is just bugging Steven with his nonsense because he's like, did you read this thing? But one of the, the, the messages that he sends is, but it really makes you think, is the way we interpret media consumption a projection of self compared to the intended <laughs> delivery of the writers? And I'm like, hey, hey, is Ronaldo giving me shit for doing a Steven Universe podcast? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I love those like sly moments when the writers kind of like turn a mirror onto the audience and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Quick, quick nod to my favorite background joke in this episode is when they first go into the house and Amethyst is like, hey, Greg, did you invite uh, a party guy? Maybe like a whatever. And she's like, he's like, why party guy? Three feet long reptilian. She's like, well, you might want to add a plus one. And then in the background, you hear Pearl yell, party guy, no. And she gets bit by a snake is the funniest and most ridiculous thing that happens. And then it cuts to her later with like an ice pack on her head. And she's like, it isn't it isn't the pain. It was the surprise. (laughs) And I don't think I've ever met somebody as dramatic as Pearl in my life, but I I hope to one day. Just once. Yeah, Jim Cation does a lot of work to reestablish all of these characters and also their relationships with each other. And it's, you're right, just a lot of fun. Um, And I think that's when Steven Universe is at its best, when it's like Mm -hmm. doing a bunch of gags, making you laugh so much, you're like tearing up, but also getting Mm -hmm. at very deep, meaningful things. Also, I'm always here for Greg getting a moment to like be dad to Steven and like when he's like, oh, I thought this was gem nonsense. I can handle this. And like Greg getting to like impart words of wisdom and to be there for his son and like to to help Steven. Like those are always good moments. And it's nice to have a Steven and Greg moment that isn't Greg got kidnapped by a giant diamond and taken to a zoo. You know, you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> all right. At number one, we have Lars of the Stars slash Jungle Moon. Uh oh man, what a what a surprising little two-parter. Yeah. I I I don't know that there's a better way to say it. What a surprising little two-parter. Lars of the Stars I actually really love because I love like Connie and Steven setting out on a space adventure. Um and they're just like really cute and it's nice to get the establishment of all of the off colors i love the sequence where they're like introducing everyone like yeah like it's the opening of a 70s show or something and it's like this this person does this and this person does this um and then when uh stevani shows up and it's like stevani an experience um (laughs) i just i i love 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 that also lars's uh reaction to sadie you know living her life is Mm -hmm hilarious and also like very true to character of Lars which I think is important because we are seeing so much growth and change Mm -hmm. to also be like and yet here's the Lars that we have seen throughout the rest of Steven Universe that we are very familiar with the like I should be the one hanging out with the cool kids yeah even if he's a cool space pirate captain 
like in whatever immortal maybe like even if he's <laughs> even if he's all that he still has like a whole bunch of like self-confidence issues yes absolutely um and so i love the way that it's all set up also the emerald like st- the story of them like fighting emerald is is just like weird and interesting <laughs> it's so great like that whole set piece like i'm a big i'm a sci-fi person over fantasy overall so like and there's nothing i love more than a space opera so like that is what this is yeah it's so much fun you're right i love those those big like titles slapped on everything um also there's a moment where when stevani first fuses and like pops out and they've got like that cool like bomber jacket and like with, with their hair yeah. up in a ponytail and stuff and and they do this more than once with stevani but lars blushes and i'm like oh okay lars i see you that's because stevani is just hot like that's so, like that's the end of that, right? Like there is no other option there. Um, and experience. Like, and experience. Um, but like it's great. And then also I really appreciate that like there's mutual respect there because I think Lars thinks Devani is super cool. And at one point Lars like I don't know if he makes a joke or if like he's giving orders or like he does the bingo bongo thing or whatever. But at one point Stevani goes, wow, Lars, I missed you. And I was like, this is delightful. I love watching all of this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we like get to the jungle moon yeah. of it all. <laughs> and honestly, I have trouble talking about jungle moon. So like, it's such a weird episode to me. Oh, I love it. That's why I love it so much because it reminds me of the best parts of sort of tense sci-fi, like thriller sci-fi, because Stevani is alone and yeah. on an unfamiliar planet with like things that want to kill them. And everything is odd and, and and strange and all that other stuff, while simultaneously still being kind of fun because this is still Steven Universe and like Stevani is enjoying exploring things and like, you know, drinking water and then looking across and seeing like this cool space beast or whatever. Um, and then having acid trip dreams. Dude, the fact that there's I feel like there's two turns in this, right? Like Lars of the Stars and Jungle Moon being a part one and a part two is is really interesting because fun space adventure and we're, we're we're taking on Emerald and then Stevani gets shot down and is stranded on a moon. Like that's like, uh-oh, that's 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 scary. Mm-hmm. And then again, you see Stevani thriving and like this is this is now a survival movie. Like we're, we're going to get there and we're going to do this and we're going to get through it and all that. And then it turns again and it becomes like a psychological thriller because of these strange dreams. I forgot that that's what happened in Jungle Moon until it started happening. Because I was just having so much fun watching like Stefani like grow stubble and like survive and like <laughs> run away from these weird green chicken monsters or whatever they are. And then all of a sudden the dream started and I literally wrote me, I forgot it was this episode with the dream. That's exactly <laughs> what is written in my notes. Yeah, no, the dream is, I think the, I, I don't want to say the most interesting part, but it's like, I feel like that's what the episode pivots around a little bit because yeah. we spend a lot of time getting to the dream and then getting off the planet. But like it, it's so strange and I don't know what's happening, even though I know kind of what the meaning behind it must be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it feels like the the rules are changing. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's important because like as a setup for where Steven Universe starts to go. But it's like the that dream is so strange to me because I feel like the rules of the universe are shifting a little bit. Absolutely. Like before I get to the meaning of the dream, like 
I again because this is such a strange little episode. Like this is this is Twin Peaks. This is the Red Room. Yes. Like this is weird, and I appreciate the small bits of this that because we are dealing with Stevani and not just Stephen having an empathic dream. Mm-hmm. Stevani's mind is interpreting it with everything Stevani knows, which includes everything that Connie knows. So like yeah. having it start with Connie's mom who is bossy and a little bit impertinent and short and like not in stature but like in temperament sometimes and like has that clip to her voice being so close to the way with which Yellow Diamond speaks. So getting to like turn like the slow uh, change from uh, Mrs. Maheshwaran or Dr. Maheshwaran to to Yellow Diamond is so neat. And simultaneously, Stevani inside of the dream Beginning, starting maybe sounding like Stevani or maybe like leaning a little bit towards Connie because they're talking to Connie's mom, but like Stevani's actions starting to shift. There are looks on Stevani's faces and the way that Stevani is talking and you're like, this doesn't sound like them at all. And like that slow, slow move and seeing the the landing pods come down and and seeing the 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 landscape change and seeing all that, like just that slow turn to the revelation that it was not Stevani. The point that I'm getting to is you get all of this, this really weird thing, this revelation that Stevani is is somehow seeing what Pink saw. Yeah. And what Pink experienced. And you're left with two options. And I think it's silly to pretend that these are not the two options because there's all of t- 12 episodes left. <laughs> you have two options at the end of this dream. And one of <laughs> what's hilarious is Stephen only mentions one of them at the end of the pool hopping episode. But Pink Diamond is alive. And Steven is empathically connected to her the way that he was empathically connected to Blue Diamond. Mm-hmm. Or this is a memory. Mm-hmm. If it's a memory, it's Pink's memory. And that means it's in. It's certainly not Connie's. Mm-mm. It's definitely not Stevani's if it's not Connie's. Which means it's Steven's. Mm-hmm. Those, are your, those are your two options. And that's literally it. And the show gives you this really cool isolation survival post-space battle featuring stevani your favorite fusion feet like all of this stuff and then it goes oh and by the way we're near the end game you have two choices which one do you think it is and like if that's not the show just kind of like like mic dropping at you a little bit it's like (laughs) what what now what what's your theory now because both these are pretty damn plausible there there's evidence for both which one is it and i love that yeah Sorry, that was a 10-minute rant. I just love the brashness of this episode, that this episode just goes, there you go. Like, and it, you're like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, I mean, you can't see on a podcast, because, but like, I'm just nodding, and also my eyes are wide, and I just like don't know <laughs> what to say. Um, because yeah, those are the two options. And it's a weird, it takes us on such a like weird journey to get there. <laughs> That you're also a little just like mind boggled by the end. I think it's I think it's telling you the truth, but also trying to confuse you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's what it mm-hmm. is. This episode is crafted in a way that it is laying out exactly what's happening, but it's also like shaking you up so you don't get it. I mean, and, and like it it supports that, right? Because we have this whole episode and Stevani looks back and sees the cracked glass and realizes that this is something that actually happened or whatever. And in the following episode, uh, chronologically from that is Your Mother and Mine, which ends with Stephen, with, which ends or focuses around Garnet telling the story that we talked about earlier about what happened between Rose and Pink. 
And then it ends with Steven talking to her about what he saw. And Garnet's like, you have empathetic powers. We don't know. You have strange dreams. And Steven out loud says, if I'm having the same dreams, what if she's still out there? And Garnet's like, nope. (laughs) She can't be. She's dead. She's shattered. (laughs) And Steven's like, but I have these dreams. It really is almost like the show is going, well. Uh, I can't wait to next episode. (laughs) Next episode is going to be so long, guys. I hope you're buckled in. (laughs) Yeah, three-hour discussion on on a single pair of rows and then a three hour discussion on change your mind. Like let's, and then everything, in, Oh wait, no. And then a three hour discussion on, uh, reformed, like or not reformed, uh, reunited, reunited. Uh, anyways. Yes. I love what you said about it. Wanting to throw you off kilter. Cause it does. It wants yeah. to confuse you. We're too close to the end. It can't just give you the answers. It wants to make you, it wants to make you rip your hair out and write blogs on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. S- perhaps start a podcast. uh and that's our top five which brings us to the character section and we only get one new character for the most part and it's it's emerald the the sort of uh, foil to captain lars um who is definitely a quote cartoon villain yes yes a hundred percent both in like being an actual cartoon but in the way that they interact with Lars just like screaming on the screen like it's I don't know it's just like blown it's like very big and colorful yeah no it's it's delightful Emerald is that it's one of the reasons why I love Lars of the Stars so much it's so much fun to watch also uh, another fun uh, voice acting thing is that Emerald is voiced by uh, Jinx Monsoon who is a really well-known drag queen Uh, Jinxie was uh, the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race season five or six I don't remember what season it was but Jinxie is also a um, a really big Steven Universe fan and like did a cute video and then asked Rebecca Sugar like, please, please cast me in Steve Universe. And then Jinxie got to play this really cool little villain. Yeah. Um, love Jinx Monsoon. Uh, is forever one of my favorite queens. One of, Definitely one of my favorite winners of, of Drag Race. Yeah. We do have a couple of characters that have kind of like these standalone big moments. Um, we've talked a lot about Sadie already, but I feel like between uh Sadie Killer and uh the big show she really comes into her own and we get to see her you know do everyone's dream which is just like randomly quit your job just like rip off the t-shirt <laughs> um which is hilarious to me i feel like that is like every especially like from the big donut like working retail when you just want to like stomp off and be like i am done never again oof oof oof, oof. i've worked i've not worked in a I've done restaurant. I've not worked in um like a fast food type establishment, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. woof, woof, don't know. But I have I've worked enough retail to know that there's nothing that feels better than quitting a retail job. <laughs> quite quite literally. Um, no, that moment where she rips off the shirt and is like, "I quit." It is triumphant, mm-hmm. and it feels so good, especially because Lars got these big emotional beats, and he got this big space saga and he got to be like resurrected like he's doing all these cool things i love that we get sadie stuff as well because lars and sadie are paired so often yes um and i love that she gets a big character change and i love that she gets that too but in a completely different way from lars so interesting yeah also she's just like great i don't know she's like i love the song i love sadie killer and the suspects they're a cool band i like my new favorite band their tune, I mean, truth, their tunes, I only listen to one band and that band is Sadie Killer and the Suspects. Their <laughs> tunes are really good. 
I have a lot of uh, text message conversations talking about like the span of episodes, but like very specifically when Sadie would come up, it was a lot of like, because it was a lot of discussing about Lars and Sadie's relationship and sort of like, uh, was there ever an in love with or has crush on or or at what point did it switch to just being best friends and like all of that stuff. But um, specifically in probably specifically in Sadie Killer, but maybe in the big show, but having a discussion with a friend about wait but how cute would jenny and sadie be as a couple like a lot of that was, was conversation that we were having oh my god it's a tall and a small like there's nothing i can really <laughs> say about that wow i didn't even think it and now i need it yeah i love sadie being one of the cool kids and like coming into her own yeah we also get, you know, the Connie Steven fight and reunion and Stevani reemerging triumphantly, um, which is really great. I love getting a chance to take a deep dive into their relationship and looking mm -hmm. at the ways they communicate and the ways they individually have to struggle and figure out where who they are and and kind of like where they're coming from I guess and then are able to bring that together as best friends I don't know it's just it's you don't get to see a lot of that work being done in relationships um, and so it's nice to watch Connie and Steven really like be committed to each other as friends mm -hmm. um, I love in like Kevin party when Connie shows up and she's got like the haircut and she's talking through all of the ways where you know she dealt with her own emotions and was like ready to talk to Steven and tr was trying to reach out. I don't know. It's just, there's something really great in watching them be friends. Yeah. The, the uh, Kevin, I mean, Kevin party is the main set piece, right? Like, but the, the idea that, or not the idea, but the, the imagery of being at a party across the room from the person you want to talk to the most and both of you being in like different pods of people that you don't necessarily want to be in and having conversations that you don't necessarily want to care about and watching out the corner of your eye to see what that person is doing oh my god if we've not actually all done that but at least had that feeling where it's like why am I on this side of the room or why why am I not going over there why are they not coming over to me it's such a relatable experience like being in the same room but being so separate um and I like that we're exploring it with younger folks like you don't need to be an angsty teen although I guess Steven is close to that like it, it, <laughs> I don't know I mean they're 14 they're kind of angsty that was my most angsty age like 14 15 <laughs> that's when we all posted on live journal that we were feeling gloomy what are you talking about I had a Zanga no but like it I think it also works really well for Connie to be the one that like forces Steven to like kind of reckon with all of this because you can see that like in Dewey wins like the dealing with the the fallout of Steven coming back right like you can see that everyone around him is nervous and she was like ah, they're never gonna let me out of their sight and the two people or the two individuals that are so clearly upset with him one is Lion who can't talk. And the other one is Connie, who chooses not to mm -hmm. because she needs to let Steven sit with it. And I appreciate that because Connie is probably the most emotionally mature person on in the entirety of Steven Universe. So, like, if we're going to 
have to reckon with this and whether it's force Steven to reckon with it or or force him to have consequences to like, you know, maybe not thinking through plans. The only person who's going to do that with him is Connie because she's the only one smart enough to do it. I don't know. I think it's really I think it's really interesting that it comes from her because it can only come from her. Yeah. Couldn't have this moment with like Amethyst. It's not going to work. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, other big moments, honestly, like as not as a couple, but like I feel like these are really paired together. Um, but Dewey and Nanafwa in the just in the race for mayor is really interesting to me mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of like staring in the face of what is happening um in a way that I don't think we do a lot in television shows. Like, mm-hmm. it, like not only are there consequences for, like, all of the crazy things that's been happening at, in Beach City, but, like, we are actually talking about them and looking at them from, like, a civic responsibility yeah. uh, perspective. It's really, really interesting. I love the debate. Um, it, like, really sums this up for me because Nanafwa is, like talking about how much Dewey has failed and then Dewey like admits to all of these failures and then she like twists not twists but like she takes from that the understanding that like you know we have to come together as a community which is like ah it's just really cool to watch them work this out out loud yeah no it's great like I I really enjoy that dynamic and I think it it does really interesting things to the town of Beach City, even if it's not in the sort of center of your focus. Like you see the the ripples of all of that. Like, first of all, the JFK Richard Nixon of it all in the debate. Oh, my God. Dewey just sweating. And being oh, my and, God. And Nana fall completely put together. Um, I love little things like Jenny calling her Mayor Gunga is like hilarious. <laughs> I really enjoy that. I love that. It brings the town together. You said you said it brings the town together in a way that it really hadn't before. In terms of like civic responsibility, right? I think the I mean, and it's a funny scene, but in Letters to Lars, the the sequence in which you see Nanafwa making plans in case of gem emergencies. Yeah. But she's not talking about it in just sort of in just sort of will be prepared moments. She brought the gems in. The gems are all there to have that discussion, too, because the gems are a really important part of this. They're a part of this town. And it's and granted, it's it's because of Stephen that they are more entrenched here because they they felt the need to get to know everybody. Right. But yeah. like she makes a point to bring them into this conversation and then to divvy it up. Garnet and Stephen are doing this and Pearl and Kiki are doing this. Like it's really it's a really neat is slightly ridiculous way <laughs> to look at the ways in which a community needs to come together, but also what a person in a position of power has to do in order to make that work. Yeah. Like you can only bluster so much, but you won't get anything done if you don't involve your community. And getting to see this teeny tiny badass mayor running around and getting it done is like really cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that both of them also just like watching Dewey kind of like realize he hasn't done anything um and reckon with that and like just be this a little bit pathetic mass like is kind of you know like Dewey there's something uh sympathetic about him but also he's kind of a mediocre white dude so like (laughs) it's nice (laughs) oh for sure I mean it it helps in it helps massively that he's voiced by Joel Hodgson uh of Mystery Science Theater 3000 fame and if you've ever have you ever watched MST3K no he naturally has this 
slow, sad, droopy <laughs> kind of delivery. And like he had it and like that's in addition to his voice sounding like that, like that's just kind of the way his comedy works. So when it comes out in Mayor Dewey, it is pathetic and hysterical at the same time. Yes. And you're like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I've I've been watching Mystery Science Theater 2000 since I was a child, and that's just the way that Joel works. And it's really great to to hear it in Steven Universe. is really fun. Like, I literally wrote down three times I love Joel Hodgson. When he comes out during the improv scene, he's like, did I miss my cue? Like, you're like, oh, God, you're awful. <laughs> and so sad. Yes, yes. So now we can talk about all the music. So all the songs in this chunk are from Sadie Killer and the Suspects. We have The Working Dead in the episode Sadie Killer. That's a jam. And she just like right off the dome. It was just like poetry. I love that. Like I love watching them kind of like jam together and come up with that song. I like how so many people like stumble into friendship in Steven Universe. Um, And so there's something about that sequence where like they're putting on the video. You hear the like eerie music of that video, which becomes the like base of that of the song. Mm -hmm. And then they're all just kind of like layering on. It's very like. I don't know collaborative and like wholesome there's mm-hmm. some it's just really nice and and you can tell that sadie has so many emotions that she's been like you know it, she's run down from work but also a little bit from holding back how miserable and everything that she is so watching it like explode out of her is also very cathartic yes I think cathartic is a really good word for it, actually. Um, I also think, and we get it with all three songs in this section because they're all Sadie Killer songs, but like it's great to hear not just like the the lyrics, but also the tone with which yeah. she sings because Sadie and be by by nature of her being voiced by Kate Micucci, who is also teeny tiny with like big deer eyes and like a high pitched voice, naturally speaking, and also singing, like having her really like deep, deep in her chest, almost growly singing these songs is like you kind of have had these moments where you're like, ooh, like that's different. Like it feels different because it feels like she shouldn't be singing that low, but like it's what suits the the lyrics and the tone and the angst and all of that. And you're like, oh man, this is love it (laughs) yeah and also this song has some like great lyrics the Mm -hmm. line we lurch for minimum wage this group is an actual mood like an yeah (laughs) there's no other word for that yeah man it's it's yeah there's just it's really really good it is really, really good. What is also really good is the next uh, song, uh, which is the song Sadie Killer and the Suspects that we hear in the big show. This is the this is the song that most, I mean, in addition to the aesthetic they have going on, but this is the song that uh, immediately makes me go, Scooby-Doo. Yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, it reminded me of Stephen and the Stevens. Yes. Right? It's got like that also vibe to it. The like catchy easy to learn the lyrics and jump in with and also establishes like the band um both like musically and kind of like the different dynamics between sadie and the her backup (laughs) yeah because it's this is the like this is who we are song right like which is a very like you're right like a 60s kind of vibe to that like we are these folks and, we're <laughs> and, and i love that like it's this that 
um, Greg has that moment where he plays it out loud and he's like, well, listen to this. So like he's doing the back to the future thing. So like you're supposed to feel like the, the, the way the song sounds, the way that like it, it's joked about later the way that they look when they're singing it, like all of that, like is supposed to give you the like late fifties, mid sixties feel of this group. And it's, it's like a fun throwback with like a modern day, like twist. Yeah. To it. And then also in the same episode, we have good, good, good ghost. What? This is a great song. Yeah. I find myself humming. Why can't you see me? Like all of the time. It is a great song. It doesn't actually talk about the lyrics of the song don't actually tell you what it's about, right? It's very repetitive. It's very much about like not being seen and being a ghost. But mm-hmm. I think because of the because of it being sung by Sadie and because of the emotional resonance she's able to put into the song, you get the sense that it's not just about like I don't know, like it is about so much more about the act of not being seen, you know, like mm-hmm. about feeling invisible and feeling like people don't recognize your contributions in a way Mm -hmm. it like to me this is a song about Lars right like this is very clearly the song about like I'm right here why don't you see me I mean you're completely correct right like they dress her up like a ghost and they they, that bit where she's throwing like the confetti to symbolize like people waking up and actually being able to see her and and feeling invisible and all that like you're right it's a song to Lars it's a song to her mother yeah it's a song to anybody that has ever not taken Sadie for a person but like has called her donut girl and assumed she's nothing but her job but it's the same for all of these teens right like Sadie is the front man and and she's probably doing most of the the writing and she's the singing but like I think that's the same for like the it's this is the same for the cool kids of Beach City like we started this just knowing them as the cool kids but they each have such unique personalities like they are all quote unquote cool, but they're not apathetic and they're not run down and they like their families and they want to grow and they want to have a good time. Like, look at like, you can't just write off the teenagers because they're hanging out in the pizza car. Like they're doing their thing. And I love that. I just love that it comes through in this like eerie little kitschy number. Yeah. It's just very like, can't you see that I exist? Ugh. (laughs) Sometimes we make noises at the same time. (laughs) We've been doing podcasts together for too long. (laughs) But yeah, I love that song. I love that moment. Because it's, I mean, right, like we just see them perform Ghost, which is like wild. Also the like confetti and the smoke machine and the costumes and the And the rigging. (laughs) It is a wild performance. Um But I think that it goes to both the construction of that song itself, but also the overarching narrative of Steven Universe and these characters that we've come to know that we're able to see so much more in very few lines and like a very simple song, which on its surface is just about like a ghost, (laughs) right? Like it references exorcisms. Like it is very clearly meant to be about a ghost, but is also about so much more. Um, And I think that that's what like really good music has that those, all of those layers and like, how dare Stephen universe be a show this good and have songs like this. How dare. I know. I know. How dare. Dear Rebecca Sugar. Come on now. Like, (laughs) and I don't want to belabor the point because this isn't just about the music, but like it is genuinely wild to me that like we've already discussed the big show as being a really great episode from this this chunk of this chunk of Steven Universe. Right. This is 
this is an episode that is a silly little one-off about a band doing a concert with two kitschy little songs uh, featuring mainly characters that are not the main characters of the show. Steven really doesn't factor into this episode, neither do the gems. This It takes place literally in the middle of all this huge stuff. I should want to get to the big show and skip it so that I can go from your mother and mine to pool hopping, right? Like I should want to just like, oh God, get me through this. But Steven Universe has taken the time to make you care about these characters, to make you want to listen to their stories, to make you have a good time listening to their songs. You want to be in this episode and listening to these jams with Steven because they've taken such good care of all of these people and their plots and all of that. Like genuinely, I love this show. I'm so glad it spends the time on these other individuals it would not be the same show without sadie killer and the suspects or without captain lars or without the cool kids it simply would not be the same show yeah i fully agree i i just like want to hear buck say things (laughs) you know and like that's it it takes a lot of work to get there (laughs) cool wolfman buck i'm a witch's cat (laughs) The line that Buck has in um, Sadie Killer when he's talking about, is it the, I just feel like the seafood festival needs to hear something challenging or provocative. <laughs> is that the line? Yeah. Because he said, <laughs> he said it and I rewound it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is the line. Oh my God. I just... I'm. This is me co-signing, agreeing with everything that you said about the way these characters are constructed. I literally just want to hear Buck talk. (laughs) (laughs) At one point in in the big show, he says, he says they're doing something, and he says, "Come on, guys, more enthusiasm." And I'm like, "From Buck? (laughs) (laughs) He's so oh man." But yeah, so those are the musical moments in this chunk of episodes. Uh, there's not really a lot of like gem lore necessarily. Um, no, not really. Uh, we mentioned this at the top, but like we are getting real close to the end, so everything we know, we kind of know already. Yeah. So I feel like we talked about this a little bit already, but we get a lot of the like myth of Rose Quartz. So we see how she's talked about um on Homeworld, and also Garnet's story of Rose falling in love with the Earth, and then a human, and and all of that sort of stuff, which we're gonna see complicated in the future. But that's the most that we kind of learn new about Rose. And then there's like a lot of random space stuff. <laughs> I feel like um, it's the techno babbly stuff that you were talking about in the Lars episodes. So we get name checked a couple of planets like uh, Upsilon 9 and Clavius 7. That's pure Star Trek. It's it's a it's a random word plus a number and it's an M class planet presumably. Yeah, I'm very clearly not a Trekkie, like a casual Star Trek fan. But yeah, we also get like a bunch of ships that Lars either interacts with or steals. Um so the Sun Incinerator, the Star Skipper, the Destiny Destroyer. Those are good names. They're good names. Of course, we talked about this already, but like we spent a lot of time going through the ecosystem of Jungle Moon and like interacting with, you know, the weird plants and that like bird thing that they're chased by. I that bird thing is the best thing that has ever been designed in anything when it is like crawling. It's got those little hooks and it's like and it's trying to like get Stevani and then Lars blasts it and it it opens up like an umbrella. 
yeah. to floop away is one of the greatest, <laughs> like, talk about the pink diamond revelation. That is, like, the best revelation that whole episode is the fact that this little bird can, like, whoop. I think it's neat that the the Jungle Moon is kind of for a show that is so much about about space and like technically an alien species in the gems. This is the first sort of alien ecosystem we see because most of Steven Universe and like gem tech and stuff we see either on Earth's moon or on uh or on Earth or like I guess we go to Homeworld, right? But it's all gem. Yeah. And we are already familiar with the gems, so like the weird flora and fauna on uh the Jungle Moon is really cool. Um I think it's also worth it to mention that the Jungle Moon um, was the gem base for, I don't know, Jungle Planets uh, or that Jungle Moon's planet um, gem colony. And then it was one of yellows uh, based on the the dream memory, whatever that we have that uh, Stevani has. Mm-hmm. And then sort of like the the sort of random things that I think is neat. Uh, we mentioned title cards before, but this time we got a couple different space title cards for when we do Lars at the Stars and Jungle Moon. Um, and then uh, at the end of Letters to Lars, there's that sort of star iris wipe that it goes where it does the zoom boop at the end of Steven Universe with the star logo thing. Yeah. Um, this is this is the final one of those that we will get moving forward. Steven Universe does not employ them at all. So we've kind of gone from, you know, 140 episodes ago, almost every episode ended like this to we're kind of at the end now. We're getting close. So so that brings us to who was extra? Who was extra? That's the question on everybody's lips. Uh, let's go to our reporters on the ground. Takia, who <laughs> was the most extra this week? Uh, can I nominate Leah Cornish? <laughs> I'm really hot. <laughs> it's hot in my room. You are unraveling. <laughs> uh, and while you can nominate her, she does not, uh, does not actually qualify. Uh, bu- 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 bu. I don't know. I think that everyone's really operating in the parameters of the characterizations that we know. I have two potentialities. What are your two potentials? Um, one is Stephen narrating the letter to Lars <laughs> while poking out of his head, because again, operating within Stephen parameters, but still. Um, and my second one is how does Lars go from hiding in the like undercity of Homeworld with these off-color gems to not only stealing a ship from this very powerful gem and then becoming like a space pirate captain, but and here's and here's what's important to Kia. Gems don't have a physical form, yes. technically. Their bodies are manifestations of light and they are illusions. That includes their clothes. Where did this boy get a space pirate outfit that is so good? Where did he find it? Where did this clothes come from? He went from Homeworld to a spaceship. Did Emerald just have a closet that she was keeping from places that she'd been to? Unclear. But gems don't wear clothes. So, like, I don't know where it came from, but what I do know <laughs> is that... Is that Lars worked very hard for his look, and maybe he deserves uh, an award for that. Honestly, honestly, I'm going to give it to Lars's costumer. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Those white pants? What? <laughs> oh, when he gets he the, cause when he gets the care package, he's like, oh, great, finally, clean jeans. And it's like, but where'd you get the white pants from? <laughs> clean jeans. Yeah. Like, are they leather pants, do you think? <laughs> I imagine like stretchy, like they're leggings. <laughs> yeah, they're jeggings, right? Right, right. Where did he get this cape? 
I have no idea. And it's fierce. He found the one tailor in all of Homeworld. <laughs> yeah, because it's not too long. It is like, I mean, this stuff fits like a glove. Lars is already a skinny boy. And you're like, bam. <laughs> oh, Lars. Uh, no, I 100% Lars's new look is is what is extra this week. I love it. 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 Also, he just like, sorry, not to go back to Lars, but he just like embodies the cape. Like he starts to like sit like he is a guy who wears a cape. He, he loves his cape. He loves it. At one point, he Darkwing ducks it. Like yes. he like whoosh the cape in front of his face. And he I don't know if he says let's get dangerous, but I think he says like maybe let's get serious or something. And I was like, Darkwing duck, what are you doing here? Um, but yeah, God. Well, well deserved that outfit. It, it Well, it's again, just well deserved. Um, so that actually brings us to the the real end of the episode. As of recording this episode, I think it is fair for us to say very quickly, we are unsure if there if we will be splitting next week's episode into two, because as we've gone through this, and I don't know how much ends will end up in the final cut that you will all hear, but we keep thinking about just how crowded the last chunk of these episodes are. Um, so we aren't sure if we're going to be cutting them up again or not. But either one or two more episodes for Steven Universe proper. And once we're done with Steven Universe proper, we will do an episode on the movie. And then we will do two final episodes on Steven Universe feature. And then we're done. And then we are done. Ugh, sadness. Yeah, it does make me sad. But there's still so much Steven Universe to talk about right now. And we would love to continue this conversation with you. So as always, you can find us on social on Twitter at ExtraneousPod and on Facebook and Instagram at extraneous.pod. Dot pod. Yeah. Come talk to us on social. Uh, leave us leave us letters, long epistles like like Stephen gives to Lars. Um, <laughs> one of the things that we haven't asked for a lot, but like would really appreciate if you've got the time, like throw us a review on iTunes. Um those are actually really, or not on iTunes, but on Apple Podcasts, but those are really uh, important for getting shows, uh, sort of growth and all of that. So um, if you want to give us a review or even just a rating, just hit like what you hear and hit uh, five stars. I prefer five to four, but if you want to throw us a four, because we ramble too much. <laughs> we me, understand. I mean, me, I understand. I'd prefer five though. But yeah, like if you wouldn't mind, like that, that kind of be amazing. Um, and actually is a really great way to show support for the show, especially if you don't, um, especially if you maybe don't monetarily have a way to support the show, giving us a review or uh, a rating is a really great way to help out. Also tell all of your friends, review us so people you don't know can learn about the show and then tell your friends because you want to share the show with others. And if you do want to monetarily support us, there is an avenue for that. It's called My Venmo. <laughs> Excuse me. It's called Patreon. <laughs> Mystic right. Media. My, my, my bad. <laughs> She's going crazy, guys. <laughs> She's really hot. Unraveling like my before my eyes. <laughs> so you can... Find us on Patreon or patreon.com slash making mischief. It supports the whole Mischief Media Network. Uh, we have a ton of really cool shows and you can get a ton of really cool stuff by supporting us. Uh, access to our Discord where we talk about everything under the sun. Uh, a lot of cool merch uh, like stickers and t-shirts and a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, patreon.com slash making mischief. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Hang in there if it's hot in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Stay.
stay extra. Goodbye. Bye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Extraneous. Whew. Sorry, I almost said supernatural. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, how long is this lag? <laughs> I went, I went, <laughs> I, who decided to put two S shows on top of each other? That was such a, what a, what a fucking mistake. All right, all right. Supernatural, nope. Okay, one more, one more again. <laughs> and we're here to talk to you about our favorite cartoon boy. And his name is Steven. Yeah. For just $5 uh. a day. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I haven't had enough coffee yet. <laughs> My God. Uh, Garnet and Steven get on the ground and, and sort of crawl through a little tunnel in a bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely uh, a... Uh, <clears throat> that's definitely a I always want to say homage but I believe the word is homage I don't know which one that actually is I've heard both and I never know which one is correct yeah I think I, it's homage I feel like it's homage right I feel like it everybody thinks it's homage and then I looked it up one time and somebody was like nah it's not everybody just says it because they assume it's French are you looking it up I am and I think you're fucking right hold on <laughs> yeah fuck it's homage yeah. Wow, I'm learning something new right now. I learned, it was like two years ago I found this out, and I was like, this sucks, which is why I, you saw my brain slow down and rewind when I tried to say that word. Yeah, I was today years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know everything now. Here are all the puzzle pieces. Sploosh. Like, let's just, <laughs> sploosh is the wrong word for puzzle pieces hitting a table. Clatter. <laughs> <laughs> Clash. I'm not very. Um, <laughs> I can't. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I did not use my Zanga. I was definitely like a live journal. This is what I'm listening to. This is my mood. Oh, um, no. We had like, uh, honestly, we had uh, laptops in ninth grade. And so everyone was on Zanga. And like, it was like a, it was like a burn book. It felt like, I don't know. There was just a lot of Zanga drama. Um, so I'm 14 is a is an age for teenage angst. I, you know what? I guess I just don't remember 14 very well. It was two decades ago. Uh, almost. Don't forget to get $20 off your first box of Shaker and Spoon. Go to shakerandspoon.com slash extraneous pod.